Chapter Twenty Three of Bonne Marie. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Susanna Mason. Bonne Marie: A Tale of Normandy and Paris by Henry Greville. Translated by Marianne Sherwood. Chapter Twenty Three. Hopes. The next day was as balmy as if it were April. Over the sky, of the clearest possible blue, drifted white and fleecy clouds. Occasionally came a dark gray mass. The clouds moved hurriedly along, driven towards the northeast by a clear, fresh wind. Not so quickly, however, as to spare the Parisians more than one brief shower, speedily followed, however, by radiant sunshine. Bonne Marie rose early, and having arranged all about her with that care and order which were all part of her character, occupied herself with her toilette. Her simple black dress did not admit of any very great variety of combinations. But the plain linen collar, the knots of black ribbons at the throat and wrist, the black velvet which held the braids of her magnificent hair, one were all received the most careful attention. At last, dressed and ready long before the appointed hour, she thought of her breakfast. A bit of bread and a glass of milk were all she could swallow, and this was a concession to established customs rather than because she wanted anything. A little later than the time agreed upon, for in her dread lest she should arrive too soon, she went to the other extreme and was late. Bonne Marie entered the atelier. Maureen was also dressed with care and attention. His most becoming cravat was negligently knotted, and his gorgeous bouquets of superb autumnal flowers blazed in his studio. He was much less talkative than usual. It is true the love he felt for the fair singer was very different from that which she felt for him. Nevertheless, the young man was more interested than he had been for years. The simple confidences made by Bonne Marie the evening before had shown him a nature far above the commonplace. He saw now that this girl was unlike any other woman he had ever known, but this conviction did not give him any idea of what she really was, an honest creature led away by ambition, and placed in an unhealthy atmosphere whose baseness she in no degree suspected. When she entered the room, Bonne Marie laid aside her hat, and at once ascended the platform and took her seat. Morin made no objection. A little time was necessary to both that they might control their emotions somewhat. For fifteen minutes the young man painted assiduously, and Bonne Marie bore his eyes, which went from her face to the canvas, and from the canvas back to her face, in the most unflinching manner and unbroken silence. "'And your friends?' she asked at last feeling that the painter's attention was gradually fixing itself on her rather than the picture he was painting. "'They are not coming today. Are we not happy here alone?' Silence again fell on the atelier. After a little while, Maureen made a sign to Bonne Marie. "'Come and look,' he said. The young girl obeyed and went to the easel. Yes, Maureen had spoken well when he said that this portrait would be his chef-d'oeuvre. Agitation and excitement had imparted to the portrait that dash of ideality to which up to that time it had lacked. Lucian, for it was not Bonne Marie alone, it was the singer transfigured by the joy of success. Lucian lived on this canvas. Her deep blue eyes seemed to be looking into the space from which she drew the inspiration with which she sang. Her fair skin with its pearly lights, her masses of blonde hair and magnificent arms were all there. It was Bonne Marie, certainly but it was Bonne Marie as she would be in a few years if she lost nothing of her purity, and if, instead of returning to her village at home, 
she continued to elevate herself towards the ideal of art. "'It is beautiful,' said the young girl softly, breathless before this image of herself which she hardly dared call by her own name. "'You are satisfied with it?' asked the painter, approaching her very closely. She looked at him with her whole soul in her eyes. "'I will do better than that,' resumed Morin. "'I will paint another portrait of you,' he added as he led Bonne Marie towards the small sofa. She seated herself, and he held her hand. After a few moments, while the young girl heard her heart beat so tumultuously that it seemed to her that Morin must hear it also, she, without lifting her eyes, said to him, "'Have you a mother?' "'Yes,' answered Morin briefly. "'One of his first rules in life was "'never to speak of his family to his studio acquaintances, "'either men or women. "'This selfish fellow had a certain affection "'for his old home and fireside, "'although he never went near it. "'But the small provincial town "'where his mother and sisters vegetated "'was at such a distance from this all-absorbing Paris. "'Each year he talked of going to them "'in the heat of summer. "'I am motherless,' said Bonne Marie softly. "'You are beautiful,' answered Morin, hardly hearing what she had said. "'You love me, and I am certain that we shall be the happiest people in the world.' Love and happiness were the words she constantly heard. But why did he say nothing of marriage? The girl felt sick at heart. It seemed to her she was choking. She turned her plaintive eyes towards the artist. He misunderstood their expression. "'You have suffered, my poor child,' he said as he slipped his arm round her waist. Bonne-Marie made no resistance. Indeed, so entirely was she absorbed in listening for the words she longed to hear that he, she hardly knew it. "'Men are selfish, and men are wicked,' continued the young artist. "'But my love has neither of those qualities. Mine will never wound you, and there is nothing of the tyrant in my nature, as you will soon see.' Bonne-Marie did not speak. One by one, all the fair hopes that had grown and blossomed in the last few weeks fell like the dead leaves which the autumnal wind blew against the window from the garden. The garden so fresh and gay, so short a time before, and now so cold and mournful under the shadow of grey clouds which had obscured the sun. Morin became, all at once, very anxious. Before possessing himself further of the girl's affections, he determined to ascertain all the particulars of her fall. The fall from virtue, which of course must have been the reason of her coming to Paris. Was it some vulgar rustic who had betrayed her, or some man like himself who had met her on the Normandy sands? "'He deserted you, then?' he asked the girl in a soothing, tender voice. "'Who?' she asked with a start of pain and surprise, for she felt a vague presentiment of evil. "'He whom you loved, before you came here, I mean.' "'I never loved anyone,' she answered, rising hastily from her seat. "'No one, ah, no one,' she repeated with a look of anguish directed towards the sky, where the swift clouds banking up reminded her of the sudden tempest of her own land. "'So much the better, then,' resumed Morin, as he took her hand to draw her back to her seat at his side.' He thought she merely meant to say that she had learned when it was too late that she had never really loved the man for whose sake she had left her village. "'You will love me all the better now, my dearest, for you do love me, do you not?' "'Yes, I love you,' she answered, her tender eyes full of pain and surprise, as she looked at him. "'I love you far more than I wish I did. Why this sadness, Lucian? Is not life full of pleasant things?' Let us not look back on a past that is sad, but think only of the future that opens rosy before us. 
the future repeated bonne marie but the future is so uncertain people die and are married she stopped short with half-parted lips waiting apparently for a reply oh replied morin lightly when i marry if i ever marry at all it will be so many years from now that it is not worth while speaking of it a faint sigh was heard through the absolute silence of the studio bonne marie had foreseen this cruel reply and had armed herself to support it with courage she succeeded her dream was shattered and the ruins seemed about to swallow her up but her indomitable pride gave her strength you love me she said her sweet voice trembling slightly for this hour was one of the most cruel of a life that had known much sorrow. "'I adore you, Lucien, or Bonne Marie, rather,' answered the painter enthusiastically. "'Have you ever loved anyone but me?' the girl asked with sad sweetness. "'Jealous already, and of the past, too,' Morin answered with a smile. "'Answer me,' the girl repeated. "'Come now, Lucien, let us be serious.' Do you suppose a man reaches my age without having left a little of his fleece on the briars? But, she said slowly, it is not quite fair, for I have never loved anyone but yourself. Morin thought this scene was becoming somewhat monotonous, but stifling his growing ennui, he tried to take Bonne Marie in his arms. She drew back more in sorrow than in anger. I am a poor girl, she said slowly without friends and without fortune i was led here by ambition i wished to marry above my sphere and be rich i see now that i have made a terrible mistake but i do not intend to be guilty of more than this no man has ever touched my lips and here morin vexed by the tone which this interview begun so well now assumed made a little gesture which the girl understood only too well you do not believe me i see she said sadly, and yet I do not know what I have done to deserve your bad opinion. But my child, urged Morin, trying to soothe her, I have not a bad opinion of you, on the contrary. But you believe I have had a lover, cried the girl in passionate indignation. Confound it all, muttered Morin. And you wish to take his place? Listen to me, mademoiselle said the young man, considerably out of patience, rising in his turn and taking a few rapid strides up and down the studio. "'We have nothing to do with all this,' he continued. "'I met you in a place where certainly morality is not too rigid, if you will allow me to say so. I have spoken to you as men speak to women in such places. With more respect, I admit, than is altogether the rule. You inspired me with sentiments which I believe to be lasting.' and know to be sincere. Now, what on earth does it matter what I think and believe of your past, when I tell you in all frankness that I adore you and wish to make you love me? You are right, sir, said Bonne Marie with lowered head. It was I who was in the wrong to take the stage of a café concert for a pedestal. She took up her hat, which she had tossed on a chair, and put it on hastily. Lucian! exclaimed Morin. I beg of you to lay aside this childishness. I adore you. I cannot live without you. I love you, answered Bonne Marie, in a choked voice and with tears in her eyes. I love you with all my heart and with all my strength, but I shall never give myself to any man but my husband. Farewell. 
you will never know how I have loved you. She opened the door. Her husband, thought the young man. She must be mad. Lucian, he exclaimed, rushing toward her. She waved him back with such dignity that he stood as if petrified. Respect her whom you do not wish to marry, she said coldly. Think of me sometimes. I have had some happy hours here. Her voice broke, and Bonne Marie looked around the studio, so carefully arranged for her visit. She saw the easel from which her picture smiled, all those objects now so familiar, and with which she had associated so many a dream of happiness. Then she turned again towards Morin, who stood gnawing his moustache, not knowing what to say. Yes, I have loved you, she repeated with the desperate frankness of one who is dying and who cares for nothing more in this world. No one will ever love you as much again. I have loved you as a woman loves a man whom she is ready to consecrate her life. Not thus have you loved me. Lucian, cried Morin, rushing toward her. Adieu, she repeated, and the door closed upon her. To rush down the stairs after her, to overtake her in the courtyard before the eyes of all the neighbors and the concierge, was to expose her and himself to infinite ridicule, and Morin was especially sensitive to ridicule. In fact, he feared nothing in the world half so much. He did not cross his threshold, nor make any attempt to follow her, therefore, the more, too, that a tremendous shower at that moment dashed against his window. End of chapter 23 Recording by Susanna Mason.